0: Digital technology, social media, artificial intelligence, robotics. If there ever was an expression that summed up today's rapidly changing world, adapt or die just might be it. Few companies have taken that lesson to heart with as much courage and creativity as Drumroll, please. Fuji Film. That's right. A pioneer in the photographic industry, Fuji began producing film back in 1934. And if the company kept that up and only that, well, we all know the direction that could have taken. Instead, Fuji took its photographic technology and built on it. Today, the film company, in quotes, offers skincare products and pharmaceuticals. Apparently, collagen is a key player in healthy skin and in film. Who knew? Its photographic foundation has brought about digital radiography, endoscopic systems, medical network systems, and printing systems that not surprisingly produce images as crisp and clear as if they were developed from film. Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions' weekly transfer pricing podcast. Why am I extolling the virtues of Fujifilm? Because a company that morphs into all kinds of industries needs a transfer pricing leader that can keep up with it. Enter Peter DiNicola, The director of taxes at Fujifilm today, Peter, along with Cross Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song, is going to help us navigate Fujifilm's transfer pricing odyssey as the company went from producing old-fashioned film to straddling several cutting-edge industries. The president of the Westchester-Fairfield Tax Executives Institute chapter, Peter, has a unique perspective and a front-row seat to Fuji's transformation. He's been at Fuji for 29 years and took over the U.S. subsidiary's tax and transfer pricing department 10 years ago. Right around the time the transfer pricing regulatory environment started cracking down on documentation, deadlines and tax base erosion. What did that mean for a new tax director in a company acquiring new businesses, going through corporate restructures and dealing with various new types of transfer pricing transactions? We'll let Peter speak for himself on that one. But first, a look at transfer pricing in the news. reminder that Italy's DFT went into effect last week. Say, are you conducting business through a digital platform that allows users to interact and facilitates the direct supply of goods, services and user-generated data? Say it with me now. Chow 3% in Italian-derived revenues from advertising services on digital media and certain digital platforms. But silver linings here, people. Embrace yourselves for some three-letter abbreviations. There's a notional interest deduction, or NID as we say in the biz, that basically provides an Allowance for corporate equity, or ACE, or ICE, as they say in Her Majesty's Air Force. It has a fixed rate of 1.3 percent applied to qualifying net equity. Italy also tossed in tax credits for investment in certain fixed assets, and the existing tax credits for R&D and human capital have been tweaked just to sweeten the pot. But in speaking of countries making transfer pricing harder in 2020, Brazil is hard at work syncing their tax code with OECD guidelines. But before year's end, 2019, a new peer review report from the austere Eurocentric economic governing advisory body studying stage one of the country's integration showed a dangerous potential for double taxation. According to the report, 80% of Brazil's tax treaties do not currently include a provision for mutual agreement procedure, a dispute resolution facility otherwise known as a map that helps avoid double taxation. Very little way to look at this with our typical glass half full optimism, since in this case, the glass is not even one fifth full. While Brazil has issued guidance on the availability of the map and how to apply it that hasn't stopped map cases from going unresolved and if you think that's bad the report notes that there is still no documented notification process where the competent authority can officially say that a map request is not justified this is one heck of a to-do list brazil but you just can't blow deadlines and expect everything to be okay just who do you think you are the eu vat system And now for some good news. Transfer pricing in Finland stands to get easier in 2020 thanks to measures taken by everyone's favorite open-minded Scandinavian education state. In particular, a special focus by the Finnish Tax Administration or FTA to ensure greater tax certainty for taxpayers. A slower burning trend over the last year that we here at the Fiona Show have been tracking is how the country's large taxpayer's office, the one solely responsible for adjudicating transfer pricing matters at the FTA, is pioneering a new preliminary procedure to expedite paperwork and communication over tax expectations. It's called the preemptive discussion, and the cross-border dialogue is what they call the version for foreign MNEs. Domestically, the preemptive discussions are already a mighty popular way to reduce time spent handling cases and eliminating FTA demands for additional information. Looming in the shadows, however, are questions over the legality of these procedures as they did not jettison from legislation, but rather under the bureaucratic Impulse of the FTA's legislated mandate to engender maximum tax certainty for taxpayers. It might not sound so scandalous to some, but for a country that loves its democratic norms as much as Finland, it's enough to recommend taking advantage of these transfer pricing fast tracks while they remain official policy. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show, Cross Border Solutions weekly transfer pricing podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai/tpu. One more quick note, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this episode. We're planting two CPE code words in this episode. Send them both to The Fiona Show, that's all one word, at xbs.ai, and we'll reply with your certificate. So easy, and I'm going to hand things over to Mimi to get us started.
1: Yeah, so Peter, how did you get into transfer pricing?
2: Well, I um, I sort of got into it about uh, 10 years ago um, when I took over the helm of the uh, Fujifilm tax department prior to that i was just uh, focused on um, you know domestic issues uh, primarily uh uh, federal and state and local tax compliance, but then when I took over as the head of the department, obviously I had to uh, ex- expand my uh, horizons a bit since we are, uh, you know, the U.S. subsidiary of a, a Japanese company. So there were there were a lot of transfer pricing issues going on.
1: Yep. And 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 did you find transfer pricing interesting when you inherited it, or were you like, oh, I got this? <laughs>
2: Well, it's it's sort of grown over the years. I mean, you know, going back to, um, you know, when the company first started in the U.S., uh, we were essentially just a uh, distributor and importer here Mm -hmm. in the U.S., you know, buying product from our Japanese parent. Over the years, as uh, Fujifilm has uh, developed and our, you know, legacy uh, consumer photography business has sort of, you know, Decreased. We've had sure. to go into other lines of business, and uh, as a result of that, you know, we are doing more R and D and manufacturing here in the U S. We're exporting product uh, worldwide, so there are a lot more transfer pricing issues with a lot more countries. Right. So and uh, it's become a much more complicated situation.
1: Not only for Fuji Film specifically, but given the regulatory environment changes, right, Peter.
2: Uh, that's right, with uh, the OECD and BEPS, it's made it very interesting. Yep. And also the change in technology because uh, you know, now we've you know, moved to uh, you know, the cloud with a lot of our digital uh, imaging products. So that, that's a whole other area that's uh, proved to be challenging as well.
1: Interesting. And, and for yourself, I mean, you've been at Fujifilm for uh, at least 10 years now?
2: Uh, twenty
1: nine. Oh, oh my gosh! Okay, twenty nine years—that's amazing. So yes, <laughs> and and you've only inherited the transfer pricing piece about ten years ago. That's right. Okay, what do you think is your biggest transfer pricing challenge as an in-house? tax executive these days?
2: Well, the biggest challenge, I think, is getting ahead of the curve. Um, you know, a company this size, you know, we have many moving parts. Uh, a lot of people uh, engaged in, uh, you know, transactions are around the world and is identifying, you know, problem areas. Uh, you know, a lot of the uh, folks in, uh, you know, the sales and marketing area, Mm-hmm. They're out there trying to make sales. Uh, they're trying to, you know, develop new markets, uh, and you know they're working through our affiliates overseas. They're not always aware of uh, transfer pricing right. issues, right. Uh, so um, we have to, you know, make sure that we've got those things covered.
3: Yep,
1: and from a business perspective too, you don't want them to overthink and not be able to react to market conditions because of transfer pricing. But at the end of the day. You still need to be involved and informed, right?
2: Uh, that's right. We try to uh, you know, work with them uh, uh, as their partner uh, and uh, keep them on the straight and narrow path. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not always so easy. As, so As a, no. yeah, at the head of tax at Fujifilm, so tell us a little bit about that job. I mean, you've been there for 29 years um, and, uh, and you know, what does your current job entail?
2: Well, it tells a little bit of everything. Uh, You know, when I first started with the company, the department was very small. There was only uh, three professionals in it. Now we're up to 20. Wow. Uh, We have, you know, about 18 operating companies here in the U.S., and then we have about 30 uh, CFCs under the U.S. holding company. So... It's a much more complex structure than when I first started here, and we're in many diverse businesses right now. Right. When I first started here, we were just in the imaging business, but now we're into biotech and farmer and uh, highly functional uh, materials, uh, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, different uh, you know issues with each different uh, line of business, so it keeps me occupied yeah. uh, for,
1: <laughs> I can only <laughs> imagine <laughs> exactly and and you know I worked for a Japanese bank in the past, uh and you know I think we had talked about this at one point in time, Peter, but mm-hmm. you know, working for a Japanese multinational it 's pretty different than your standard uh u s multinational would you say
2: uh cultural yes culturally, there are a lot of differences,
1: yep. And so, do, do, do you guys have another international tax director at the parent company level, or, or not really?
2: Uh, not really. In uh, Japan, we have a very small tax function, okay. uh, probably about uh, three or four people. And it's not a career position. Right, uh, right. It's a rotational enough, uh, position, right? Right. That's right. And, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, swap in and out of the department and move on to other functions within the organization. So uh, I'm more the career guy here. Yep,
1: exactly. I, that was the same, you know, when I was at, when I was at my uh, Japanese company. I think that culturally there's this rotational aspect where people are, are typically generalists as opposed to being specialists, right? Uh-huh. And especially yep. in the transfer pricing field. Uh-huh.
2: And that goes for, you know, a lot of the managerial functions within the company uh, with the uh, with the Japanese staff, which makes it a little more difficult and challenging because you have to, you know, when the new person comes in that job, you have to educate them right. as to, uh, you know, what the law is here in the U.S. and, you know, also what the, uh, you know, the facts are uh, for that particular situation. So sure. uh, they, don't, they don't necessarily have the history of uh, everything. So, you know. Uh, So you need to uh, really try to educate them.
0: Yep software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits penalties and adjustments and our technology is available for one flat fee a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant again apologies big four stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions ai-driven transfer pricing software it's no wonder we're the global leader in ai-driven tax solutions there we go again i'm so sorry big you know what wait who am i kidding sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai /tp that's xbs.ai/tp
1: and and so does that make you responsible for all the foreign um, jurisdictions that you know, uh, um, you know that are subsidiaries of the japanese company or are you mostly concerned about any inbound and outbound with the us and the foreign operations. Well, yeah, operations. based yeah. on
2: our on our sort of sandwich structure here, you know, I you know my role is with the U.S. holding company, and that entails all our U.S. domestic subsidiaries, and then all the CFCs under those domestic subsidiaries. So, you know, I do have responsibility for Europe and Latin America mm-hmm. and um, Canada and also Asia, but not all the Fujifilm. Uh, companies within those jurisdictions
1: right okay and and you know given given your massive global uh, oversight responsibilities (laughs) and and especially in light of the fact that scrutiny has become um, you know increasingly more so on a country-by-country basis how has your team and your department been able to adjust to this or keep track of what's happening um, in each of these foreign jurisdictions
2: well it requires a fair amount of coordination um and uh you know we do coordinate with our japanese parent and also with all our affiliates uh so it, it it's sort of evolved over the past couple of years especially right. with the you know the country by country reporting and um, you know is getting the systems in place to you know extract the data that you need for this reporting it's uh, you know it, it's uh, very challenging
1: right the reporting requirements are are only going to get more strict these days too right <laughs>
2: Uh, that's right, you know, transparency is the word of the day
1: Exactly right and Which then leads to potential transfer pricing audits I'm curious, have you had to deal with any um, transfer pricing audits at Fujifilm?
2: Well, uh, the most recent one we've had was with India, and that was a rather painful experience. Uh, of course. But, you know, I speak to my colleagues at other companies, and they all say the same thing. India is a very difficult uh, uh, country to deal with on transfer pricing.
0: And let me interrupt there very quickly. Fiona, what makes India so difficult in terms of transfer pricing?
3: Well, Matt, how much time do you have? The Central Board of Direct Taxes, India's tax authority is very aggressive. India follows the OECD guidelines generally, but it asks for many additional requirements on its master file, that alone is a lot of work. I mean, not for me, but for human executives. And when books are unavailable and profits are difficult to determine, the center board of direct taxes can do things at their own discretion. Not a power you want in a tax authority. So suffice it to say, India can be challenging.
0: Thank you, Fiona. And now it's time for our first CPE code word. And that code word is developed, as in I remember handling my Fuji film to be developed as a small child a long time ago. Anyway, back to Mimi and Peter.
2: What eventually came out of it, we were having a lot of difficulty with the auditor, is that... Uh you know we we got the right person involved we we found uh, you know a consultant uh, that had just left the indian tax department and oh, nice. knew a lot the of internal the people. connection right? and uh, that's right yeah. you know they they say a good lawyer knows the law and a great lawyer knows the judge and <laughs> that's <a> great... <laughs> and that's that, that's, great... that's what worked that's in right. our favor on this audit.
1: yeah <laughs> oh wow and but then it was probably pretty costly to deal with that how long did that audit last because it's usually not uh, one and done.
2: <laughs> no, it was a good part of a year. And, okay. uh, you know, the auditor was a young guy, uh, and he was starting out in his career, and he was very aggressive. I think he wanted to make a name for himself. Mm. But, you know, eventually uh, saner uh, people <laughs> prevailed, and uh, we were able to actually settle that with, with no change.
1: Oh, good. Okay, so then it's just yeah. the the cost of actually hiring your consultant to go through that. Right. right. Okay. Well, that's good. Any any learning lessons from that experience?
2: Well, the, the the lessons that I've learned over the years is you know there are a lot of cultural differences, obviously, from dealing with the you know the taxing authorities in, in foreign countries. Right. And dealing with the Internal Revenue Service so you you know you have to adapt to that and you have to be conscious of that you know when dealing with people uh, mm-hmm. you know you have to be respectful and polite and uh, and uh, you know as I said get the right people involved that can you know help smooth the path.
1: Yeah absolutely I feel like in the, there was a story I heard about a company that was under audit in India and You know, I think the majority of the multinationals, they they probably have some sort of researcher software development center in a center of excellence in India, right? And so what I had heard was how the tax auditor would actually go to the LinkedIn profiles of the employees in India and said, hey, all these employees are saying they do ABC function and you're telling us that you don't do any of that. And it was like a big uh, it created a lot of uh, static with between the company and, and the auditor you know they they're pretty tough i think they go into that level of detail and scrutiny
2: uh, the internet uh, can be a blessing—a blessing and a curse at the same time. Uh, we've experienced this not so much um, on the international uh, front, but with domestic audits at the state and local level, where auditors will go out to the internet and and you know just look at the company website right. and or or look up as you say like on LinkedIn. So, and you know what I find is sometimes you know the the marketing people that you know. Develop the websites, they tend to exaggerate a bit on certain things, (laughs) which
3: they have a different audience in mind, right?
2: right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) from a tax perspective, can cause a lot of mischief.
1: You're like, don't do that, we don't say it's valuable in this jurisdiction. I can't, I get, yeah, that, that does create a lot of problems. It's a, especially even 10Ks are annual reports because you have to remember who the audience is. The intended audience are investors that you're trying to make yourself look a little bigger, right?
2: So. Uh, that's right. And there's no way to uh, you know put up any type of a firewall that uh, prevents uh, one audience from <laughs> checking what the other audience is seeing.
1: That's true. That's absolutely true. You, you've had a, a tremendous career and, you know, very long career at Fujifilm specifically. Do you have any specific memorable moments that or, or, of triumph, of challenge that you can recall off the top of your head?
2: Well, at uh, Fujifilm Film specifically, uh, going back to around uh, 2007 and 8, that's when the company decided essentially to reinvent itself, and uh, it was uh, somewhat of a traumatic experience because you know at that time you know we went through a uh, corporate restructuring, mm-hmm. um, we you know, laid off a lot of our employees and our legacy businesses closed factories. Uh, and even even impacted the um, you know, the tax function, which mm-hmm. at that time was only six people uh and we let had had to let go two of them so uh It was, you know, doing the same amount of work, actually, with with fewer people. So that that was a challenge. Uh, We didn't know whether or not the restructuring was going to be uh, successful or not, but Mm -hmm. thankfully it was, and uh, we came out of it uh, bigger and stronger as a result.
1: Wow. Yeah, I mean, you might have lost two then, but look at you guys now. That's right. Mm Interesting. And if you were going to give advice to other multinational company about transfer pricing or, you know, based on the lessons that you've learned, either through audit or, or, you know, being scrutinized in multiple jurisdictions, what would you tell them?
2: you know you have to get into the trenches with uh you know your operations people you have, you have mm-hmm. to know what's going on um the last thing you want is to be blindsided um and um you know that's that's the important thing you know right. have control over what's going on don't just don't let uh you know the situation control you mm-hmm. you have to uh you know be a good uh, advisor to your, you know, your team, and uh, try to keep them, as I said, on the straight and narrow path.
1: Right, and and I actually think that's a that's a great point, Peter, because I, you know, in a lot of companies, and correct me if, you, if you've seen different. There was this time frame where operational transfer pricing became a huge topic of interest, and you know, there was this there was this idea of just because you're a tax professional in the transfer pricing space you need to understand the operational transfer pricing aspects of this, the implementation, how things are, are running. And then multinationals attempted at some point to sort of centralize all of that. Um, did you guys go through that and sort of figure out, okay, you know, where where does tax stop? Where does the operational TP group begin?
2: Uh, well, you know, you know, we try to integrate the whole, the whole function. Um we just find it's you know. We we don't have again. We don't have a large, st- you know, staff devoted to transfer pricing, so we need to, uh, you know, leverage what we have, and you know, we we found, you know, we, we want all our tax people, not just in the transfer pricing area, but all to have an understanding of the businesses that they're serving. Um, so you can serve them well. Otherwise, if, you, if you're just looking at numbers, you, you're not doing your job.
1: Sure, sure. And, and I think transfer pricing, in, in my mind, it should be sort of a, a BAU activity. Sorry for the acronym, business as usual, right? It's <laughs> Where it should be an annual exercise. It shouldn't be an afterthought or a project that should be handled every few years. Uh, would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I mean we we try to, you know, handle issues as they come up so we're we're dealing with it in real time. Yep. Yeah. And I don't want to wait until the end of the year when we're doing the documentation to oh, find absolutely. out that we have a problem.
1: Yeah, right, you should be ma- monitoring it over the course of the year. Real time is exactly. is definitely ideal. So, mm-hmm. any any immediate concerns um in terms of your company's transfer pricing related issues, if, if if does anything keep you up at night?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, we have a, I think we have a, a fairly good handle on things, so I, I sleep well at nights on most <laughs> nights. <laughs> that's good. But, but you know, uh, again, I just um, you know keep thinking of uh, you know the new businesses that we're going into, right. and uh, you know uh, how that's going to be impacted by you know by bets. Um, you know, certainly, the digital businesses that we're going into, especially you know that are you know based in the cloud. Right. Those are challenging. Uh, you know, while the OECD is trying to come out with uh, you know a global consensus, you know some countries are just uh, you know moving forward unilaterally. So uh, it you know you're going to have a uh, a real issue there probably going forward. Uh, you know how to deal with these
1: issues. It's going to be uh, challenging. You know, various countries. Yeah, it and is very
2: challenging.
0: Challenging. In interrupting once more to ask Fiona, Fiona, Peter mentioned countries moving forward unilaterally on the digital front. Something we've all been concerned about. As of the start of 2020, which countries have launched their own digital service taxes?
3: Right now, France has enacted a 3% digital services tax on gross revenues derived from digital activities. Turkey has launched a 7.5% tax on gross revenues from Turkey sales. Italy's digital services tax is 3% on revenues provided to Italian companies. Austria's tax is 5% of the fee that online advertisers receive from clients. Indonesia is asking that online sellers that benefit from at least 344 thousand dollars annual revenue in Indonesia pay the 25 percent income tax. Pakistan and Zimbabwe have taxes set at 5 percent. So, you can see how this is going to be very confusing.
0: Thank you, Fiona. And it's time for our second CPE code word, and that code word is flash. Is and I'm grateful for automatic flash. And back to Mimi and Peter.
1: Well, you know, and yeah. and I, I I was I was speaking with a couple of transfer pricing um, experts at, at different venues, and a couple of people made note of the fact that listen, there's no separate digital economy. It's all one big economy, our economy as it exists today. All of it is digitized. there's no separate and distinct mm-hmm. digital economy I mean, would you agree with that statement
2: uh, to a degree yeah I mean I think uh you know most things have morphed you know uh, to the digital uh world but uh you know again um uh, what I see is that you know the the tax laws have just not kept pace with the technology, and you know that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty, and uh, you know you just have to, you know, to try to, you know, to try to um, adapt as the you know the thing as the laws develop. So you you make sure that you're you've got all your bases covered.
3: Right.
1: Right. And, and and it sounds like, Fujifilm, you guys, with your business restructurings as an organization, new lines of business, it sounds like you guys are innovating from a business model perspective to keep up with the pace of the digital economy and all the changes that are happening. So that's fantastic. But that probably creates a lot of challenges for you, um, at least from a transfer pricing perspective, because all of a sudden it, it breaks your existing structures, right?
2: Yeah, well, you know, from many perspectives, I mean, things have, you know, changed over the years. Obviously, with the, you know, tax reform two years ago has been a big challenge for us, you know, with all the international provisions. Uh, You know, on the state and local level, we've had, you know, Wayfair and, you know, we've had dealing with uh, economic nexus issues. Mm -hmm. And, of course, then with, uh, you know, the OECD and BEPS. So, I mean, uh, you know, pick whatever area of taxation you (laughs) want to deal with. there's a challenge there waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Who knew tax would be so exciting, right, Peter? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, it is, and you know, we, you know, the title is exciting, and you know, working for Fuji Film has been exciting because you know, as I said, I've been here 29 years, and it's a totally different company from when I started. Uh, you know, I never thought I'd be dealing with uh, you know uh, biotech and pharma. You know, we're working for uh, you know a film and camera company, but you know, that's what we're dealing with today.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing. I I, I love that. I I think, and and you know what, if you've been with a company for 29 years, to your point, if the company hasn't changed, then that's probably more of a problem, right? (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it Through. excellent thank you so much peter and uh, just my starting <laughs> just starting with the the rapid round this is actually my favorite segment in the show and it's called what we want to know and it's just a rapid fire round of questions are you ready
2: uh, well, I'm, as, I'm as ready as i'll ever be <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's question one question number two dream job you'd love to try
2: I, I probably would have liked to have been an astronaut at some
0: point. <laughs> Me too. That's 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 one of my favorite responses to that question. What is your biggest everyday challenge? Uh,
2: my biggest everyday challenge is, is just um, juggling so much, time management. There's, there's so much to do.
0: And what strategies do you use to motivate staff?
2: Well, I try to empower them, and, you know, I offer them guidance and support, but I let them find the way to best do their jobs. I don't try to micromanage them, and I feel like they feel more like a a professional, and um, so far they have not disappointed me.
0: (laughs) On behalf of your employees, if they haven't mentioned this already, thank you. Uh, If your friends at TEI had to describe you in three words or less, what would they be?
2: engaged, adaptable, and focused.
0: Uh, What have you learned about handling work stress over the years?
2: Don't sweat the small stuff. They'll, they'll work their way out. Just focus on the on the main objective. Thank you again, Peter.
0: And I want to thank Mimi as well. That's it for today, folks. However, don't let this be goodbye forever. Subscribe to The Fiona Show on iTunes or Spotify, and we'll give you transfer pricing expertise every week. This podcast was edited, engineered, and hosted by yours truly, Matthew DeMello. Executive producer Marilyn Lynn Mitchum-Strum writes our scripts. By the way, our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press, hint, hint, Subscribe to that one too. We'll keep you up to date on transfer pricing headlines every week. Boy, do we make that easy! Because is there any news more important
2: than that?